Check Me Out is made possible in part by a grant from Humanities Texas, the state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Obviously, when we were in school, it was Accelerated Reader. I don't know what you had, Amy. Did, I mean, oh, probably just had, Book It. I was um, going to say Pizza. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Loved Book It. That was probably my favorite thing ever and probably why I have a weight problem to this day. But Have you ever seen that meme that's like, uh, you didn't have to read 100 books for a personal pan pizza and it shows? <laughs> yeah, that is so true. <laughs> you will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the chimes ring like this. Welcome to Check Me Out, a podcast for book lovers. I'm Hillary Holsey, and actually we have Amy along with me as a host. Say hi, Amy. Hello. We have um, some really special guests with us today. They're particularly special to my heart. We're talking friendship that's lasted 20 plus years. But before I let them introduce themselves, I do want to talk a little bit about the, the topic that we're covering today. We are talking about child literacy and the importance of reading. That's, that's the main topic of the podcast. Um, this particular season, and we're really focusing on children ages 0 to 12 um, in this episode particularly. And so I thought I would ask my friends that I met between ages 0 to 12 uh, to join us. They have since become teachers, their parents, and they love reading. So uh, why don't we start with Kinsey? Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, so I'm Kenzie Beller. I live in Dumas with my husband and my two little boys. I typically teach kindergarten, but this season of my life, I am a stay-at-home mom. And I'm also the director of StoryBridge Dumas, a nonprofit that uh, provides children in our community with books. It's awesome, Kenzie. We'll get back to StoryBridge here in a minute. We'll let Bailey introduce herself. I'm Bailey Orr. I am a sixth grade math teacher in Amarillo and a boy mom to two young readers at home. Oh, that's a great introduction. <laughs> Thank gosh. How did my friends have so many boys? I don't know what happened there. Um, so I do. Let's I, I want to talk a little bit about what you do in your jobs before we get into our love of reading, because I think that's something we could talk about forever. Kinsey, why don't we start with you? And Amy, you can jump in at any time with any questions you might have for her. What is StoryBridge? What, where did it come from? How did it begin? How did you get involved? Okay, so uh, StoryBridge started in Amarillo in 2016. Chandra Perkins um, is a reading specialist for AISD or Amarillo ISD. And she had been cleaning out books from her two boys and decided to take them up to a park um, in the summer of 2016. And there were a bunch of kids up there and she decided to read with them. And then when they were done, she said, okay, you guys can take some books with you. And she had, she said that she had packed up about a hundred books in her back seat and taken them. And there were like eight kids there that day. So these eight kids all picked out one or two books and took off. And she said she got in the car and she was kind of patting herself on the back. And and then she looked in the back seat and realized she was going home with 90 books that her boys had read that they were done with. And it kind of suddenly occurred to her, what do these children's homes look like in terms of early literacy? And do they have books at home? 
So it was just really impressed upon her heart to begin seeking these questions out and or seeking these answers and um, finding out what that looked like. So in all of her research, she found out a lot of really interesting things, a lot of really heartbreaking things. And a couple of those things, and I'll, I'll give more about it, but the main thing was that two out of three low-income families have no books at home for their children um, that are age-appropriate. And so as a reading specialist here, she mainly taught on the north side of Amarillo. So she was seeing kids that you know, came from homes where there were no books at home. And so then as teachers, we're asking our families to go home and read with their kids. Well, they don't have books and maybe they can check them out from the library, but then they get overdue and then they have dues to be paid and then they don't pay those and then they can't check any more books out. So it just kind of ends. And um, she also noticed that, you know, most of the bookstores in Amarillo are on the southwest side of Amarillo. Well, that's not in the neighborhood where these kids live. So they just don't have access except at school. And being teachers, we don't often really send books home with kids anymore because they usually don't come back. So she put the word out to her community, her church, Southwest Church of Christ, and and just this huge community that, that her and her husband have. And suddenly the books started pouring in. And by the end of that summer, she said she had over well over 1500 books in her garage. So then and she she was going to the park every week and starting to give these books away um, kind of randomly. And then Storybridge just be, kind of became born and they moved into their church because they had so many books that they were overflowing their garage. And then they moved from their church to um I think directly to Snack Pack for Kids gave them, Dyron Howell gave them a big space in his warehouse, which was super awesome. And then just recently, she has found her own building in the heart of downtown Amarillo. And since 2016, they've given probably well over 100,000 books away to, I can't even, I'm not even sure what the number of kids is now, but... And so, yeah, and and the way that they kind of organize this is they go directly into the schools and have book events where they lay the books out on the table like a book fair. And then the kids and their families get to come in and pick a certain number of books. I think now they get like 11 books in Amarillo, 11 books per child and a backpack to take them home in. And they're theirs to keep. And it's it's been super awesome. So And then to answer the end of your question, I came in in 2018. She had called me and said, at the time I was a stay-at-home mom with my oldest son and said, hey, would you be interested in seeing what this will look like for your community? And I had actually been praying about this and we had already been like monetarily supporting her for like the last year before that. And so, of course, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, because at the time I'd been teaching second grade. And thought, wow, I have so many kids who need this and need StoryBridge. And so I went in and she gave us some statistics. There were several of us there that day. And some of the statistics that she gave us that really broke my heart. um, One of them was that in a middle income neighborhood, the ratio of books per child is 13 to 1. 
In a low-income neighborhood, the ratio is one age-appropriate for every 300 children. So if you think about like a apartment complex, there might be one book in the entire apartment complex. Wow. And that comes from Susan B. Newman and uh, David K. Dickinson and out of the handbook, handbook of Early Literacy Research. And then the other one that pretty much had me crying and saying, yes, please let me do this, was this one. And I had taught third grade the year before I taught third grade math. But we had several boys at the end of the year that I just really struggled that year. And when she read this statistic to me. It just broke my heart. And I just couldn't get these little faces out of my head. So it says two out of three who cannot read proficiently by the end of the fourth grade will end up in jail or on welfare. That's from begintoread.com. So I, my heart was broken. And as y'all probably know, most ministries or most nonprofits are born from your heart being broken about things. And so I said yes. And now here, two years later, we've given away like probably close to 25,000 books. And um, that's in Dumas. Yeah, that's in Dumas. Wow. So, and it's been a lot of fun and it's been a lot of hard work, but in this community, it's been easy. And yeah, it's just, and then I started teaching kindergarten and got to see directly these kids coming from where I knew these kids did not have books at home. Most of them had never stepped in a classroom before. I was just like giving them books as much and as often as possible. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's been um, eye-opening as an educator and as a mom. And um, it's probably one of my very favorite things that I get to be a part of right now. So That's awesome. Amy? Yeah. I, I do have a question. Okay. Are you seeing a difference in the, in the kids that are that are reading that have maybe never read before? Are they talking about the books that are sent home with them? Are they excited about reading? You know, I don't necessarily get to see what comes next yet. Um, you know, we've been doing this for two years now. And obviously this year, most of our stuff has been put on hold. But what I what I have seen is that now when I came back the second year for StoryBridge, the first year, you know, when we put it out there and we would go to the schools, there's there's five elementary schools in Dumas. Um, you know, the first time around, we would have like maybe... 100 kids come and get books or 150 kids come and get books. And then the second year that we came and we, we, this last school year, 2019 to 2020, we went to every school twice. Every time that we went back to those schools, the numbers of kids that came got bigger and bigger. And so it was like, they just, there were some that we we went in with, um, I mean, just boxes and boxes and boxes of books. And we left with almost nothing, you know, and I would have entire age groups just completely cleaned out. And it seemed like it went on forever, this endless stream of families coming through. So in, in that aspect of the excitement about books and taking home books, I've seen that become greater in the long run. I hope in five years, if, you know, if, if my family and I are still here in Dumas and still teaching that I will get to see the fruits of that labor, especially because we give books out from ages zero to 12. So we are getting a lot of babies and toddlers, you know, younger siblings coming in that are getting these books and they're coming 
we've had three events at each school now. So hopefully they've got 30 books in their hands before they get to pre-K or kindergarten. And you would be surprised what a, what an impact that would make. So I'm, I'm hopeful to see what that looks like. And, and I get feedback from teachers that say they're so excited. Um, they love their books. They bring them to school and they read them. I see the backpacks everywhere, which is really fun. So I know that they're thinking about it and that they're excited about it. So, so Kenzie, is this, I mean, part of why we do this podcast and why, you know, we're, we're covering topics like this, that we have the hope that this isn't something that's necessarily only the Texas Panhandle could do and that maybe someone would hear what you're saying now and say, hey, I want to do this too for my community. So is this something that is... Uh, has a system that is easily replicated. I know that you came into it after um, um, the initial run of Storybridge and Amarillo. Is this something that other communities can do? Absolutely. Uh, Chandra, I'm, I was the first or I am the first uh, regional affiliate. Um, I think last I heard Dalhart was trying to get something going there. And I'm not sure where that is in progress because, again, COVID has just put you know, um, push pause on everything right now. But I know that Chandra Perkins has been working really hard to figure out how to take this organization and begin to duplicate it in other places because she started receiving phone calls from lots and lots of places across the country that saw this as a need. So I know that that is coming or has already been developed. She would know more than about that than I would, but, but I definitely know that for me, it was, like I said, it was hard work in the sense of you're moving, you know, books and you're picking up books and, you know, just the physically difficult. But as far as reaching into my community and saying, this is what I'm passionate about. And this is what I think that our community needs, especially since we in Dumas have, I think we're over 60% poverty or low income, low income families with over 60% in our community, at least I know for sure in our schools. So it was easy in that way to seek out the people that I needed to seek out to say, who do I, who else do I need to talk to? Who could help me with grants and with donations and money? And um, really once I started talking to people in my community, it just exploded. And I now have people calling me to say, what can we do and how can we help? So it's a lot easier than it seems. It just takes that confidence of calling and saying, hey, this is my idea. And um, you would be surprised how many people would say, wow, reading was so important to me as a child and in my life that I can't imagine my life without it. And I want to help others achieve that as well. That's awesome. So how do people in the community get involved? So a couple of different ways. Um, The first one, when I started out, when I didn't have any donations, um, monetary donations, we started out with basic new or gently used books being donated from the community. So that was kind of the first call to order that I put out um, for my community. And I got a book drop off at the library at our, our Kilgore Memorial Library here in Dumas. And they let me put a box up there. And then I just hounded social media and all of my Dumas friends and um, said, you know, if you have books, if you're cleaning out 
please remember us and drop them off. So that's kind of where we started. And then as after that, that first year of um, collecting books and giving them away in the first year, we could only give five to each child and we've, we've since grown. But then I kind of learned about the grant world and writing grants that are in my community going to different organizations and churches and saying, would you support us or consider supporting us? And so, so yeah, uh, books was obviously the main one, new and gently used. And we, we have to go through those carefully to make sure that they're age appropriate and that they are in really good condition. We don't want our kids to have pride and um, in their books and not to to feel undermined by anything that we would give them. And then obviously money. And then Um, Because I can buy books from places like Scholastic and firstbook.org and I can buy books in bulk. And so uh, honestly, money is the best way to help us. And then the third way is time in that every time before before we go to an event, we have to take all the books in that we have received and we have to sort them by age and clean them out and decide whether they are in good enough shape to be given out or if we get new book shipments in, we sort those. So I have lots of volunteers come to those book sorting events. And then the events that we have at the school are a little more um, tightly. I try to keep a, a tighter rein on our volunteers that come with us to those because we don't want to expose our kids at the schools um, necessarily to anyone and everyone. So I kind of vet those volunteers that come, but they go with us and they help uh, walk the kids through. If they don't have a parent with them, walk the kids through, make sure that they get the correct number of books. They get the, the correct age number or get the correct um, appropriate book for them, like by age, and then help them make sure they get a backpack and get out the door. So um, yeah, that, those are the main things are books, money, and time. And you can find more information at storybridgeama.org, correct? Yes. And then we are, um, both of our organizations are on Facebook and um, Chandra's is just Storybridge and mine is Storybridge Dumas. Wow. So you're really pioneering this by, you're, you're the first, are you the only one? Is that the what you only, said? The only regional affiliate. Yes. Okay. That's cool, Kenzie. That's, I, I don't think I realized the, um, gosh, the depth of all of this and how much, um, how many books you guys have gotten out there. So that's, that's great. And if I could throw one more thing in there, because especially, (laughs) please, please let me, um, so, you know, during COVID we've been like brainstorming of what are we going to do right now? Because we can't go into the schools. We can't, you know, we just can't do what we normally do. And so um, the biggest thing we've been doing right now is, and I know Chandra's been doing this. This has been my big thing right now are little free libraries. And um, a little free library is like a cute little box that you install somewhere in your community. And then, you know, a lot of people do them on like private property on their, like in their own homes and their neighborhoods and stuff. But we've been installing them at local churches because Dumas has 32 churches. And so there's literally a church on every corner. And so we've tried to find a church that's kind of in every corner and every neighborhood of Dumas and Cactus. Um, I should throw that in there because Cactus is a part of Dumas ISD. So we go there too and put uh, a little free library and then we stock it full of books and 
the idea behind Little Free Library is take a book, leave a book. And so they kind of recycle themselves. But, you know, honestly, I just want these kids to take home books and I really kind of want them to keep them because that's how we move these kids out of poverty really is by their them growing, you know, their, their book collection at home. Um, and so I don't really care if they bring it back or not, or if they keep it or if they give it to a sibling or whatever. But so we've, we've installed five so far, one in cactus and four in Dumas. And then we have three or four that are kind of in the works um, coming. And then we were able to get a grant that got us several here, but also five in Dalhart and one in Sunray. And then um, a couple more here in Dumas that we're getting ready to, to put in. And so that's a great way to really meet your community and get those books out into your community and not have to, you know, close contact or anything like that. So it's just another way to put literacy out there. I can't believe we've never talked about Little Free Library on here before, Amy. Can you? I can't either. And and it's something that we've been wanting to do through PBS and FM90 for a while. And um, I still, you know, I always wonder, like, is there still a need for it? Which is insane for Mm -hmm. me to even think about because you're saying absolutely there's still a need for it. Um, You know, and and the other thing I was wondering, you know, uh, one of my friends, um, Andy, who we've had on the show before, uh, is a teacher. She teaches ESL at Tascosa High. High school and she during COVID filled up the back of her car with books to take to her students and she would meet her students and literally had a mobile library and would drive wow. around town That's awesome. dropping off books and so I'm wondering in a, in a in a town the size of Dumas or Cactus you know if that's also a viable option oh definitely um yeah, if I could find a full-time babysitter, <laughs> I would be packing my Tahoe with books. And we actually, we got a trailer last year from our Economic Development Center, helped us to fund one. And um, there have been many times, even through COVID, had I not <laughs> had a baby about two weeks into uh, the shutdown, <laughs> I probably would have been packing that trailer with books and and traveling all over but yeah I yeah, think you got a lot books, going on yeah there's a lot new going baby on, pandemic yeah, yeah yeah but yeah the book mobile mobiles or mobile is just really cool idea and I think when I retire it's definitely going to be <laughs> something on my list like if I'm known as the crazy book lady I'm going to be okay with that so <laughs> uh well Bailey might have you beat on that I don't know <laughs> yeah. it's true it's so you're, true uh, we're all probably crazy book ladies um <laughs> Bailey and, and Kenzie you can probably talk to this too but I you know it's been a hot minute since I and Amy have been at Amarillo ISD um, or in <laughs> in elementary, middle, high school. And I truly just have curiosity as to how much reading has changed in school, like the initiatives that have changed. Obviously, when we were in school, 
it was accelerated reader. I don't know what you had, Amy. Did I mean? Oh, probably just had, book it. I was um, gonna say pizza. <laughs> yes. oh, yeah. <laughs> Loved book it. That was probably my favorite thing ever, and probably why I have a weight problem to this day. But and I still love books, and I associate them with reading. So, well, uh, have you ever seen that meme that's like, uh, you didn't have to read a hundred books for a personal pan pizza? And it shows. <laughs> yeah, that is so true. Um, so Bailey, I was just wondering, like for for your schools and the schools that you've worked in, because you've also worked in Wilderado, um, what are some of the initiatives that you guys have to get kids to read? Well, and I'm sure that it's different um, in elementary. I teach middle school, but we don't have any really like incentive, like, you know, read this, take the quiz, get some points. Like we don't have any, you know, really incentives like that. But my school is just is all about reading. And I'm really fortunate to be in a school that really um, values reading. And so um, our kids are at the library all the time. They always have books and they're always wanting to read their books. So really, I mean, I'm not going to say that I didn't enjoy those programs as a kid because I love them. Um, <laughs> but I feel like they're already reading and they're already enjoying reading. And that's, that was the purpose um, of those initiatives. So I'm just that's really, awesome. I'm really yeah glad to be at a school that, that values reading and gives kids a chance to be in the library and, and, you know, always have a good, a good book around. I don't think that was the, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to disgrace our entire education. Uh. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I just, I don't feel like there was that same kind of culture when we were in school. Am I yeah, wrong? No, no, no. Yeah. I, I, uh, I totally agree. I think it uh, worked for those of us that liked reading and were competitive in our studies because I know I was taking AR quizzes like nobody's business because <laughs> I wanted the points and I wanted to be yeah. like, I'm a fourth grader reading on a seventh grade, uh -huh. you know, but, um, but there, as I've seen now as an educator, there's so many kids that that just does not work for them. Yeah. You know, well, it, it works for those set few, but there's so many more it does not work for. Amy, are you familiar with Accelerated Reader? I'm not, actually. Okay, so let me just break this down for you really <laughs> quick um, before I ask my next question. Um, because I, I do think Kinsey's right, and oh, both of you are right, actually, that there, we already had that. Um, and I don't know that if maybe before today I would have realized that it's because of the home that I was raised in and how fortunate mm -hmm. I was um, to be raised with parents who could afford um, to give me that kind of, um, you know, bookshelf in my home filled with books. But right. it really only works for people who like reading already and uh, can read really fast. I'm talking about you, Justin Prisk and Sammy Mack. If you're <laughs> listening out there. Yeah. It, it, so what it is, is it's a sticker system. Well, it's, it's a point system and a sticker system. So you walk into the library and there are different sections of the library with different stickers based on your reading level. And they would determine your reading. It's kind of embarrassing, by the way. It is. It's <laughs> super embarrassing. It's I, I didn't bad. know that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that until I was a second grade teacher and telling some of my kids, you can't go over there. You have to go over here because mm. it was awful. It was awful. <laughs> yeah. So wait, Sorry, it still ahead. exists? Does it still exist? Um, it did. And I know Dumas ISD dropped it last year. 
Okay. But they, I, yeah. So I had to teach it. And at first I was like super excited until I realized not everybody is an eight-year-old Kinsey Scott. So, (laughs) so you have stickers. Um, for some reason I remember getting to light blue sticker was like a really (laughs) ultimate goal because it was like college reading level. Um, I don't know. I, I, whatever. I would rather read Babysitter's Club or something like that than the, the light blue stickers. But Instead of then, Tol- Tolstoy when you're yeah. in fifth grade. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you I that we got to that level because I was so competitive I think. And I think uh, Kenzie and Bailey were too. Mm-hmm. We also uh, had... Yeah. Okay, can we... <laughs> I'm sorry, we're already diving into a different <laughs> conversation. I knew this would happen. Um, so... You would take tests, and depending on your score on the test, you would get points. And am I wrong in remembering this, guys, that, like, certain teachers, for instance, the lovely Mrs. Rucker and probably Mrs. Conway, they would give you, like, candy bars, right? Oh, like, for, like, passing so many points? Yeah, heck yeah. Yeah, we have there so, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's what, (laughs) at least here at at Dumas, like, if you got so many points or something you you got to go to a party you yeah, know so I remember every that. six weeks so yeah well yeah and like remember, pizza parties yeah and remember like <laughs> harry potter books were worth like 12 points each you know so we were you know reading those like crazy the bigger mm-hmm. the book the more points you got wow now I'm thinking about all of the shame of like eating on the stage with our principal and like everybody that was on the floor looking up at us having our pizza party while they were eating in the cafeteria. This is real life, y'all. This actually happened. So much shame. There's just so much shame. I didn't expect this to be like therapy for me, but oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. So y'all don't have that anymore. Thank goodness. So, Bailey, you sent me a really cool picture the other day, and I think we'll post it on um, our Facebook page. Uh, Your school has these interesting, like, door decorations. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, lots of the teachers at my school do, like, a currently reading display, and it's all about, you know, what their teacher is reading. And so several of us will print, like, the book cover um, of whatever we're reading off, and it just kind of shows kids, like, hey, this is what I'm reading, or this is you know, what I've read throughout this year, or, you know, here's my goal, here's my goal for the year. And this is, you know, what I've completed. And I have had so many good conversations with kids about what I'm reading that I probably would not have. I teach math and that's not a conversation that would come up naturally during class time. So as kids are walking by, they can see like, oh, Miss Orr's reading Harry Potter again, or, you know, <laughs> these are these are some books that I've read too. And they want to talk about it or they, you know, they'll see, like I, have, I keep a lot of books in my room and they'll be looking for books, you know, because they've seen that I'm, I'm reading them. So yeah, I think that's something really cool that, you know, kids are seeing that reading is not just for in their reading classroom that, mm-hmm. you know, adults read for fun or they, you know, read to learn things. They're seeing that it, it happens outside of just their reading classroom, which is cool. That is cool. I noticed you had Daring Greatly on your door. And I, I hope some student comes up and asks you about Brene Brown. <laughs> the earlier you start learning that stuff, the better. I, I, have some, I have some of her quotes posted on my walls and I have not had any comments yet but oh. <laughs> <laughs> you have Brene Brown on your wall I do just some just some Aww. good motivational uh 
they'll they'll come back in about 15 years and be like, oh my gosh. You just have to offer a pizza slice with it and they're going to love her. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, man. That's funny. I know. I know if I've learned anything through being a teacher, through all the roles that I play, teacher, mom, and story bridge, it's that kids seeing adults in their life that are important to them seeing those adults reading is the best besides reading to a child um that's the best thing you can do to influence them and you know i know the for the three of us that we really did have a lot of really great english teachers growing up and seeing i remember i have images of several of those teachers in my head reading while we were reading silently you know and that just it means a lot. So yeah, I love Bailey. I love that you do that. And I, it's such a great conversation starter. So I don't want to leave Kinsey out, but I'm going to. Okay. Um, <laughs> I know where this is headed. <laughs> she knows exactly where this is headed. And so does, yeah. so does Amy, I will say. Are we going um, back to third grade? <laughs> yeah, we're talking about um, third grade. Um, so why don't you talk I a little bit <laughs> about Mr. McGowan uh, and what he meant for, for your education? Well, I was thinking this week about all of my like favorite childhood books. And I'm like, well, Mr. McGowan read that to me. Mm-hmm. Mr. McGowan read that to me. All my faves. I feel like started on that carpet in his room. And it was such a special time because he was our math teacher. And so like for me as a math teacher, I feel like it's important for my kids to see that I love reading and they, you know, see what kind of books, you know, I'm reading and I'm trying to read things that they enjoy too. So I've always thought about that. Um, as I teach math, but try to show my kids how much I love reading. Do you have time in your schedule to read to your kids? Like you read to us? No, I don't. (laughs) I really don't. I know it's so sad. Um, occasionally I have, and I haven't really this year. Um, but occasionally I have had picture books. Like I keep a lot of like, um, high, you know, higher level, high engagement picture books. And if we had, you know, a few minutes, I might read one of those. And Middle schoolers love picture books still. So that that's really? something really fun. Yes. Awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. What like what books what kinds of books? What books are you reading to middle schoolers that are picture um, books? Really? I mean, really they enjoy anything. Like, you know, there's the nostalgic feeling of like reading something like Dr. Seuss, but they really love nonfiction. There's some really fantastic, you know, illustrated nonfiction picture books that are that are exciting um, for them. Like what? Well, I have well, I want to read it. <laughs> well, I have a couple like I keep I keep a classroom library in my room and really I have several picture books that are checked out most, you know, most often. I have one that is all about like the start of rap music. It's called When the Beat Was Born and it is <laughs> a favorite. They love that one. Um, lots of basketball books. My kids are super into basketball. Um, I keep a lot of yeah, mostly nonfiction. So I have a couple of books and they're called, they're by uh, Jess Keating. And there's one that is called Painted for Blobfish. I don't know if you've ever seen that one, but yeah. it's like real disgusting pink animals and they're so <laughs> gross to look at and they cannot stay away from it. So just like the grosser, the better, you know, more interesting, illustrated. They love it. Hmm. Pink is for what? What was blob. it? Pink is for blobfish. Pink is for blobfish. Isn't yeah. that that fish that was a meme? Yes. The one. <laughs> There's a whole book of them. So Amy, I have a question for okay, both of ahead. y'all, actually. So my question for both of you is, 
I want to talk about the importance of books that represent students and children, their cultures, Um, because we're seeing a lot. I mean, Jason Reynolds, um, which I've read pretty much everything Jason Reynolds has put out. I absolutely love them. (laughs) Yeah. And and so talk about the importance of having characters that represent the reader. Well, I know that I really try and I, you know, I really try for myself to read about, you know, people that are not like me. And I feel like that's how you learn and, and build empathy. But I think it's really important for my students to see me reading books with characters that, you know, don't have the same life experience that I do. So, I mean, I think it's super, super important for kids to be able to see themselves as, you know, the protagonist of their story, be the hero of their story. But I feel like for kids that have always been able to find stories where they are the main character, where, you know, the character, you know, has grown up, you know, pretty much the same as them. I think it's more important for those kids to read about other kids, kids that look different from them or, you know, have lived differently. And I think from a really young age, that's how they learn, you know, we're different, but you are a person with feelings and, and I can learn from you. So um, who, who is Jason Reynolds for the person that doesn't know? Uh, me. He wrote Ghost. He wrote All the Way Down. So he's a black author. And so his main characters are African-American. And they all have some sort of real life struggles that they've been going through, whether it be a broken home or an abusive situation. Um, it could be gang violence. Um, but they are they're they're real life protagonists, I feel like. That whole track series um, mm-hmm. where Ghost is, is the first one. Oh, that whole series is phenomenal. And they're all, my, they're, mine are always checked out. Um, and I was super excited to see Ghost on uh, the Great American Read. Maybe I was too. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember that. Why? It was. Uh-huh. And oh. that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to have Andy on because I knew that she had read those and, you know, her students, um, especially students from other countries, they really love those. And, you know, kind of like what you were saying about junior high kids loving anything with sports and, you know, that's a lot of ESL kids. They love sports. They love soccer. They love track. Um, and so those books have really struck a chord with a younger generation. Um, yeah, so for me, especially, you know, Dumas is probably over 70% Hispanic here. So when I first started buying books from for StoryBridge, and this is kind of how I feel like I've grown in, in this, but, you know, at first I was looking for characters that were familiar to me because obviously teaching kindergarten, second grade, when I was trying to buy for these um, you know, 10, 11 year old, nine year olds, I wasn't sure what was cool. <laughs> and so I was looking for, for characters that were familiar to me. And then what's been really neat though, especially over the last two years, um, culturally is that Scholastic has done an amazing job at promoting diversity in books that are of diverse characters. So, um, I've been trying to buy a lot more books, especially, um, and I buy them in bulk, but books that the names are familiar to our kids. The ideas, the cultural ideas are familiar to our kids. So like there's one that comes to mind and I can't think of exactly what the title is, but it's about a little girl and they, it's called Too Many Tamales. That's what it is. And so things like that, that our kids would be able to relate to and understand because I know as I, as for me, um, I picked up books about 
girls that were heroines and, you know, and that probably looked like me and resembled me in the, the cover. And so when these kids are at these book fairs, I want them, I know that they're going to be picking up and looking for books that they can be interested in right away and look like them and relate to. So yeah, I've just, I've loved Scholastic for that. And something else that we do is we buy, try to buy books that are um, bilingual and um, because we have so many families here that speak Spanish and we've got lots and, and lots of other languages here. I've been able to come across some other languages, but mainly Spanish. And so um, especially our early readers, because there's a lot of our families that their parents don't speak English. So if they can be reading to their child in Spanish and then their child can read it back to them in English and vice versa, it's just, it's really great. But um, yeah, I've just, I've seen that really expand in the last two years. And, and then even at home with my own son, um, trying to expose him to cultures that we don't necessarily see very often or that he is not necessarily exposed to. Um, it's a great way, like Bailey said, to promote empathy. And one of those books is um, uh, Market Street. <gasps> Last Stop on Market Street. Oh, Thank you. I can't one. believe I based <laughs> yes. on that because there was like three weeks where we read that every night. So, um, <laughs> I saw it's that. It's a really great book, but when you read it over and over again, you know. So I saw yeah. that in your uh, your kindergarten, or your uh, new teacher boxes, Kinsey, and just oh, love it. It's one of my favorite yes. ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that was, um, I saw that. Scholastic always runs good deals on that one. And it's just such a great picture of a different world than what my son probably or not probably what my son experiences and and then there's a lot of other books about being inclusive and just I, I really uh, kudos to just Scholastic for for doing that um this these last few years so so that brings me to another point what do your boys love reading or is it different do you guys stick to you know, uh, I mean, obviously you're trying to implement some diversity there, but uh, I am curious, you know, does I, y'all, your kids are a lot younger, though. Um, do you read a lot of the same books that you read as uh, when you were a child um, with to them with that them? with my older boy? I pretty much was when I was buying books for him, it was childhood faves. And that's like mm-hmm. all I had were mm-hmm. classics and things that I loved, And he loved, you know, a lot of them, too. But. Um, as they've gotten older and with my, my younger son, I feel like I'm really trying to find, you know, new books. And I feel like the last couple of years, really last 10 or so years, I mean, it's like a golden age of yeah. children's books right now. For so sure. I'm really, really trying to, yeah, yes. I feel like we're, we're there. It's like the second golden age. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's, and they're, not only are they, a lot of them, their illustrations are amazing, mm-hmm. but there are so many of them that are kind of like cartoons now they are just as funny for adults as they are for kids (laughs) and like so many things that kind of go over their little heads but that I find myself laughing and giggling right along with them um one of our favorites this year and actually we did my son's third birthday around it was dragons love tacos Mm -hmm. um and we we read that all summer every night all summer long and it is just so funny but yeah I agree with Bailey like the books out right now are fantastic 
some of our favorites right now. We still love some classics. Um, we're very into Pig the Pug. Love that yes. whole series. Super yes. fun. Um, really, my four-year-old is is into Halloween books. He reads Halloween <laughs> books year-round. So we found some wow. really fun Halloween. I know. Really fun, like, Halloween parodies. I finally had to put up his Halloween books because we've been reading them for months and months. But um, we found a good Good Night Moon parody, Good Night Goon. We read Good Night Goon every night for months. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, what about you guys? Like, um, through the pandemic, did you read more lighthearted things? Were you trying to learn a new hobby? Like, what did you read during the pandemic? I went back to a lot of childhood favorites. And I don't know if that, if that was a conscious decision or if I, I honestly, I brought a lot of books home with me, like from my classroom library and then never went back after spring break to take them back. So I just had a lot of children's books. So I read a ton of children's books, but I also read a lot of nonfiction and I don't usually make a lot of time for nonfiction. I prefer fiction, but I read a lot of nonfiction this summer. Yeah, I read, um, I read classics during COVID, I was reading, I finally sat down and read Pride and Prejudice and I read Little Women. Um, and then I started kind of going back and reading. Um, I love historical fiction and shout out to our fourth grade English teacher, Miss Conway, for mm-hmm. um, like Number of the Stars and um, Stones Over Water and things like that. And so, and then I, which kind of led me to reading um, The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom and which is all about World War II and um, concentration camps and Holocaust. So yeah, that's kind of what I've been reading. And then I feel like in preparation for this week (laughs) or for today, I was like going back and reading, but not buddy. And um, because of Dixie and, Oh, and I read the house of scorpion again and I was right. It was, I remember reading that as a seventh grader and thinking this is too adult for me. And I'm like, yeah, it was like, there just were some adult themes in there. So, um, and then, yeah, it just makes me laugh, but I read that again and I was like, Oh, just creepy. I'm going to have to pick up my copy now that you've said that I do. Can we, Amy, do you mind if we just take a moment to talk about summer reading lists? No, please do. I always love it. That's another, it's another reading initiative, you know? Yes. I mean, I guess technically that this is your very, very, very long summer reading list that you, (laughs) you've been doing, but I, there, I don't think personally, and I don't really know what the, the theory is, uh, currently in school, but I, I prefer the books that we read together throughout the year than the ones Mm -hmm. that we read during the summer. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's because (laughs) I just wanted a break, but yeah. Amy, these are the these are the ladies that I read Hatchet and mm. um you know uh, House of the Scorpion. I don't remember the dang Buffalo Woman book. I tried to remember <laughs> the name of it. I've been trying to. I I googled it in in so many different ways of Buffalo Woman, Woman of Buffalo, and I cannot find it. <laughs> I could draw you the cover from yes. memory. Yes, but and I, that's why none of them look familiar. Yeah. So if any of our listeners have a lead on the Buffalo Woman story, please. It was disgusting. Reach out to us. <laughs> Seventh grade 
grade at Fannin Middle School. Okay. Yeah. We could just email Mr. Chester probably. He'd be like, right? yeah. I felt like that book was absolute torture. And I just, yes. I, oh I really God. love hearing that you guys think that right now is the golden age of children's yes. um, literature because I feel like for so long we read books that we just had to read because everybody always mm-hmm. read them. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I did like Hatchet. I, I will admit yeah. that. But there were some like that dang Buffalo Woman book that I'm, <laughs> it's probably like a great book that I'm totally, yeah. I, I just remember feeling like I could rip my yes. eyeballs out. Yes. While we were reading, which I, I think actually happened in the book. Like, I think. I well, Hillary, yes. you'll be glad to know that the world of education, if you are a new up and coming teacher, is moving away from the like class reading a book together like we did with Red Wall, which honestly, I oh. barely remember. And I need to go back and read it because I'm sure it was good, but it was no, because we read it not. in class. <laughs> Wait, did you, where <laughs> did you read we, that? We read it in Miss, Miss um, Wallace's oh, sixth grade. yes. And... And we had to read it like popcorn reading. And I'm telling you that education is like moving away from that. And they're really pushing Mm -hmm. kids choice. Let them read what they want to read because then they'll become readers. And here, I mean, look at that. The three of us were extremely passionate about reading and we loved reading. We read all the time. But then you think about the Buffalo woman and we're like, (laughs) oh, my gosh, you know, like that was awful. It was. I think the difference, the difference is, is that there are some really, really fantastic historical fiction novels. And like we read so many of them. And And that was not one of them. That was definitely (laughs) not one of them. And but you do, it's, it's so hard sometimes giving kids just free reign to make a choice because some of them, if they don't enjoy reading, they're like, well, I hate it all. I don't want to do, you know, I, you know, I don't feel successful at this, so I don't want to do it. And I hate it. And sometimes you have to make a choice that you're like, trust me, I I promise you, you will get into this. And even if you're reading it all (laughs) together and then you're able to, you know, to talk about it and make connections. And that really like, you do get so much more Mm -hmm. out of reading when you can share, you know, that experience with someone else. I definitely agree that, you know, you're in class books, you know, you have so many, you know, good feelings when you think about them because they're, you know, it's good to share what you're reading with someone. So I do feel like, yeah, you, sometimes you just have to make a choice and, and sometimes they don't buy in in the very beginning, Mm -hmm. but they will come around. And that's kind of how we were with Ghost. I read Ghost to my class a couple of years ago and they were not super excited. Just me reading like the blurb from the back. And, um, I mean, by the end of the first chapter, they were like, Oh, keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Some more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and, um, you know, I think, man, if I taught sixth, seventh, eighth and on up, you would have to be an, as an English teacher, like reading all the time, new books and to, to be able to, you know, offer your kids and say, Hey, I really think you would like this one because I've read it. And, I read this book written by uh, Donalyn Miller, I believe is her name, and it's called The Book Whisperer. And she's a sixth grade teacher and she just, she had like hundreds of books in her classroom and she just talks about the power of giving your kids at that age choice. But in order to do that, she had to read all of those books so that when her kid came to her and said, I don't like anything. And she says, okay, well, what do you like? And they're like, well, 
I like soccer, she could go and dig through and be like, hey, this book is about soccer. Try this one or, you know, whatever it is. It sounds like Andy, Amy. It does. Yeah. It sounds exactly like Andy. Yeah. Yeah. Andy Andy reads about 140 books a year. Um, yeah, I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. And, and it's all for her. Stu- I mean, it, yes. I would say all yeah. for her students, but it's about 90 percent for her students and about the other 10 percent she's reading for herself. But I mean, having that kind of person, like you said, having a grown up in your life that reads in front of you, that takes the time to research a book that you might like, like that is invaluable. And I wish when I was growing up, you know, I'm about 10 to 12 years older than y'all. And I was not, (laughs) I was not in the golden age of reading. You know, we were stuck with the classics and I really didn't have that fire and that passion. I mean, when there was a piece involved, sure. But, (laughs) you know, I don't really, I wasn't getting all jazzed up about reading the Scarlet Letter and War and Peace. And like, it just wasn't, it didn't relate to me in any sort of way. And it felt torturous. And I love that that mentality is shifting now because I wish someone would have told me, you want to read Nancy Drew all day, then go for it. You know, that wasn't an option. So I like that it's shifting. If I could, I know where, if I could throw two statistics in here that really are kind of why this matters, I guess, is that mean a lot to me and, and maybe to a parent that's like, you know, my kid doesn't, we don't have books or we don't, it's not important to us. Um, so these are, these are some things that are important to me. Um, from the National Commission on Reading, the single most important factor influencing a child's early educational success is an introduction to books and being read to at home prior to beginning school. And then the other one is um, the literacy crisis um, says the only behavior measure that correlates significantly with reading scores is the number of books in the home. And that's even like your, you know, yearly income, you know, your parents, um, like whether they went to college or not, the only behavior they can measure is how many books are in your, your home to see how well your kids will probably do on. Wow on state testing. Like, it's incredible. I want to ask a question for the three of you, and I'll answer it as well. But who, out out of all of us, did your parents read to you at night or did they read to you? My mom did. Yeah, for sure. All the time. Yeah, my great grandmother did. Yep. My, My mother read to me. Yep. My mother read to me. And I think that we are all really fortunate for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yes. And I do think that that influenced all of us to be readers. And that's the stats are proving that. That's amazing. Oh, I'm so glad you guys agreed to be on the podcast. I think it had a pretty great little discussion. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add here as we, we close our conversation up? Um, until next time, I hope. No? Um, oh. I feel like all of the fiction that we loved as kids were about dystopian uh, <laughs> yes, universes. <laughs> yeah, that no. didn't come along until after I was already, you know, probably graduated. So Aww. I missed out on that. I also, you know, I'm so jealous of all of the, the people that grew up with Harry Potter. Aww. Harry Potter wasn't a thing <laughs> until I was in my 20s. And I loved it so much. I still love those books. And 
I'm so jealous that I didn't get to play Harry Potter with my friends, you know. Um, so I'm super jealous of all of you that grew up with him. I don't think it's yes. ended for us. Well, like, I no, don't. Not. It's not over. It's oh, yeah. Not. I can't wait to read it to my to my boys. So it's such well, my a, boys and I, we've been doing the illustrated copies. Mm. Um, and even, you know, they were pretty young when we started out. But even even if I knew that the story was above their heads, they were picking out little details or finding you know, intricate, you know, details in the pictures that they were super excited about. And they are growing up with that world for sure. Mm -hmm. I love it. (laughs) Um, If I could just give a little tidbit to Hillary. um, We did go to the midnight premiere of Breaking Dawn when that came out. I just want to throw that out there because. (laughs) What? The book premiere. Wait, wait, wait. I thought thought Hillary was so anti-Twilight. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. If you refer to past episodes of Check Me Out, I did definitely admitted to reading them. And I read them for Kenzie. I did. I wanted to be able to. I did. (laughs) I borrowed your books and I read them because I wanted to be able to have a conversation with you. Now, I read them like eating freaking candy because it was a very fast read. And, you know, I did like them. I liked I liked them at that time. I don't think I do now. Um, I don't. I don't like them. I don't. I just think it was a. But yes, I did go to the. I ha, I made T-shirts with Kinsey. Um, she really did, and she let me curl her hair. I'll never forget that. <laughs> I remember. I remember getting a picture. You had like done uh-huh. makeup or something. You're like, oh, look what she let me do. It was <laughs> awesome. And I just I just remember listening to David Bowie at your parents' house while I was curling your hair in their bathroom, <laughs> and it's probably like one of the best. Hillary Kinsey memories I have. Aww. Um, it was a lot of fun. Also, I'm gonna, need that, uh, I'm gonna need that picture for our uh, website <laughs> and uh, Facebook page. So uh-huh. great. <laughs> so glad. At least my hair was long at that point. Um, oh, it was awesome. Uh, so yeah. Um I I will give ten dollars to anyone that listens to all of Check Me Out and finds all of the references that I've made to Bailey and Kinsey, um, at least obscurely. And uh, you know, they they have really shaped my love of reading um it means so much to have great friends that you can talk to um mm-hmm. i have such distinct book memories with both of you mm-hmm. um especially bailey because she was like that competitive Rory <laughs> gilmore paris geller like we loved each other though like i don't think we ever had that like well, I don't know. Can't say ever. Um, <laughs> are, we'll you, go there. are you still um, sore about me uh, getting ahead in Little House? Yes. Is that what it was about? <laughs> I was literally about to bring that up. And I, I, I will never forget just being like going up to Mrs. Rucker and being like, okay, I need number four. And she's like, oh, I loaned that out to Miss Conway's student. I was like, it's freaking Bailey. I know it's her. I know she got ahead of me. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I do have really distinct memories with both of you, and I, I'm so glad we got to revisit some of them. Well, I applaud Kenzie. I really applaud the work that you're doing. I, um, it's it's really what a great initiative, and hopefully we can turn around, you know, the literacy issues that we have in the Texas yes. Panhandle and beyond. Um, yeah. I really hope that somebody listens to this and just mm-hmm. thinks like I can do this in my community. Yeah. And and runs with it. 
Yeah. And as do I, um, I'm really, you know, the biggest thing we've seen is that early literacy and poverty are so closely tied together because, um, you know, just like food and, you know, domestic violence, these things come in cycles. And if your parents weren't read to, they're probably not reading to you unless they've been educated on that thing. So we just feel like this is one of the best ways to fight poverty is through early literacy. Well, thank you both for uh, chatting with us today. Thanks for having me. For having me. And us, yeah. Check Me Out is recorded in the FM90 and Panhandle PBS studios on the Washington Street campus of Amarillo College. The show is produced by Hillary Holsey and me, Amy Hart. Big thank yous to Colin Lutz, Jake Day for being our editor, Stevie Brashears for designing our logo, and the Mag7 for providing music. Check us out on Facebook. And make sure you hit subscribe wherever you may be listening.